You're listening to Voices of Family, a monthly podcast series from the BC Council for Families. Each month, we bring you thought-provoking discussions with notable figures and frontline workers in the family service community. Voices of Family takes you inside family services to hear what's new and on the horizon, making life better for BC families. Hello, this is David Shaftel, Program Coordinator at the BC Council for Families. And uh, I am in Minnesota right now doing some uh, recertification training for our home visitor uh, training program. And uh, I'm here speaking with Betsy Dew from Great Kids, Inc., uh, the executive director of Great Kids. And I just wanted to talk for uh, a little bit about home visiting and some... uh, some of the best practices that uh, Great Kids supports through their training and uh, just a little bit more about uh, Great Kids and, and how uh, they fit into the, uh, the home visitor uh, world, the home visitor system that, uh, that we're part of. So, hi, Betsy. <laughs> hey, dude. Um, can I ask you just a little bit about uh, Great Kids and, and sure. sort of where it came from yeah. and your involvement? Yeah. Uh, the seed for Great Kids started in Hawaii long ago uh, in 1975 mm-hmm. when we began a prevention program of very, the very, probably one of the very earliest prevention of home visiting programs in the country using uh, a scale that Dr. Kemp had developed in Colorado uh, called the Family Assessment at that point, or Family Stress Checklist, now called the Parent Survey, Mm -hmm. our more modern-day strength-based language, uh, to reach out to families at the time of birth or before and find out which families would best benefit from home visiting rather than just a scattershot approach picking up people off the street or Mm -hmm. uh, waiting for them to knock on your door. This was a more uh, systematic way of reaching out to families that could really start to impact the problems of child abuse and neglect. So that was the precursor. And in the late 90s, a few of us decided that we had been program managers now for 20 years, and we were ready to do something a little different. People Mm -hmm. were asking us for training. We were providing it on top of administering our programs was becoming kind of unmanageable. Mm -hmm. So we decided to to focus solely on the training aspect of it, the training and the technical assistance consulting, helping programs to be the best they could be. Our programs had gotten good evaluations. We did believe we had some things to share, and others agreed. So that's where Great Kids got its start. And... um you know, from what you've learned over the years and, and research and, and your own experience with with different programs, can you sort of boil down just some some basic things about what what are the key components of a, a really good home visiting program? How many hours do you have? Um, yeah. No, seriously. Uh, home visiting programs to be effective... To me, first you have to figure out who you're going to serve. 
if you're really going to be effective, you can't be effective unless you know right. who you're serving and why you're serving them. Right. So once you have that and you've established a way to reach out to your families, and certainly we do recommend the parent survey because it is the best tool that we have seen that researchers across the U.S. who came together to try to find another tool in uh, the early 90s found there was no better tool. Hmm. Um, so that's certainly, a, that's certainly a component that I think is important. Decide on who you're going to serve because that determines your services, your program mm-hmm. services. If you're going to serve families who are facing a lot of challenges in their lives, then it's really important that you provide a service that's going to meet those families' needs. So meeting them once a month for a visit is probably not going to be enough for a parent with lots of challenges in their lives Mm -hmm. who has a newborn. Uh, There's not enough time in that one visit to cover all of the things that you would want to talk about. So we say that weekly visits are really critically important for that first 9 to 12 months. Mm -hmm. And we have a level system, which is we're not going to go into here, Mm -hmm. which allows programs to systematically decide based on how families are responding to the visits and incorporating information and integrating it into their lives, we have a level system where they go from one visit every week to every other week to every three weeks to once a quarter. So we've tried to put systems in place that make it less, it's not rocket science, but it's a lot of work if you're trying to develop everything yourself. Mm-hmm. So we try to make it easy for programs by giving them some of those systems that will um, make their lives a little simpler. That, that seems to be a common thing. A lot of programs don't necessarily have have systems for you know for for making sure a family is moving along a certain path or uh, decreasing. Um, there are many home visiting programs that have a rigid definition for that. We will give you one visit Mm. a week for six months and then you go to every other week. Mm. Well, we all know that people are individuals Mm -hmm. and that individual families, um, a cookie-cutter approach just doesn't work really well for the families that are facing a lot of challenges. And so the general population of parents, that might work, but when you really want to start addressing the most serious problems facing all of our societies, then you need to uh, think of a, a much more personalized, individualized approach mm-hmm. within a system that allows you not to have to go crazy making mm-hmm. decisions. So to have some some basic criteria, basic criteria for each of these, it's actually, a, you can do a, we have a little check that they meet certain criteria, they move to the next level of service. Yeah. And so supervisors don't have to spend excessive amounts of time trying to make that decision. So, you know, some of these principles uh, or, or, you know, the systems that, that you've brought in or, or, or set up, what what were sort of the, the, the principles behind those? Were there sort of theories about, uh, I mean, I know being strength-based is, <laughs> is a big one. Absolutely. Uh, that... That is very important. The strength base is really important. The other piece of it is really to understand um, why we're there. And, and if, if we don't understand, the home visitors certainly won't understand, and you'll find 
the home visitor going in, and as one home visitor told a group of legislators one day, oh, yes, I go in and I sit and I drink coffee with her in her kitchen, and we're really good friends. And being a friend back in the 60s was perhaps what we thought, what many people thought home visiting was all about, uh, and that that would be enough to change people's lives. Now we know that there's, there's some differences in that. We also know that it's not enough to change the parent's life. That was also an assumption in the beginning. If we could reduce the stress in parents' lives, they'd be good parents. Well, bingo, they hadn't experienced good parenting themselves, mm-hmm. many of them, most of them, and didn't even know what that looked like. Mm-hmm. So that was where we developed the Growing Great Kids curriculum because home visitors were drowning in trying to figure out what to do on every visit. Mm-hmm. And when you have 15 families, for every week you have to plan an hour visit? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really sit back and think, what were we thinking in the mm-hmm. beginning when we asked them to do that? So the curriculum allows them that roadmap to take with them on every visit. Right. Parents love it, and they can and benefit from it because it breaks things down into simple terms. Mm-hmm. It's complex, theoretical knowledge, but you don't have to be a rocket scientist, or you don't even have to be a college student to understand it. You just It's been broken down into simple everyday language and activities that parents can do with their children that are fun and actually grow those children's brains. And I know another, another uh, principle uh, is really to start early and to really uh, support the brain development aspect. Exactly. Uh, if you don't start at the beginning, you're starting too late because negative patterns start very quickly. Right. And children, infants of a depressed mom, for example, will themselves become depressed by three months mm-hmm. of age, um, which can be deadly for an infant. And the, the entire, I'm glad you mentioned brain development very specifically because we know how urgently important it is to very early on have that brain receive the stimulation so that the connections can be made and the brain itself can grow and be structured in a way that will allow this person to utilize all of their innate abilities. Babies come with many abilities and with nurturing care and stimulating care they can reach their potential and without that we're losing kids. 25% of them, which is what is the number, uh, generally speaking, that needs a home visitor mm-hmm. or would benefit from a home visitor. Uh, if, if we don't pay attention to that, how are we going to afford to have a future for our countries? There's mm-hmm. not time anymore. There wasn't time in the 70s, really. Mm-hmm. But there's certainly no longer time to sit back and say, well, let's think about what to do. Let's do a little more research. Let's do the things that are effective. We know them mm-hmm. now. We've had enough research. We've had. En- I don't think any program should should uh, exist without some evaluation. I'm a very strong proponent of that. Mm-hmm. But I do not think it should hinder our moving forward to reach out to families, all families now. So, um, you know, home visiting is is a really demanding job. It, it, it you know it takes a lot for uh, for someone to go into homes and, and, you know, put their own personality and their own skills and, and abilities into the work. And it's, it's demanding. You know, what, what have you found 
helps to you know for home visitors to to do their job well and and not get burnt out not not get overloaded yeah that's several things are critical one is a limited caseload Mm-hmm. so that you don't just have endless numbers of families to try to reach touch and you can't do a good job. You have to be able, there's no point to me in having a program if you're not really going to do make a difference mm-hmm. and do a good job. Mm-hmm. So our idea is the limited caseloads where a full-time worker would have no more than 15 families at a time in a week. And if you, we have justification worksheets that mm-hmm. show program managers and planners, program planners, mm-hmm. why why a family visitor can only see that many families in a week to be effective. Um, we do have a level system so that when you see families less frequently, you can see more families. It's all worked out for programs, and one of the reasons that systems come to us, whether it's a province or a state or an internal system within a state or a province or a country like the Philippines or Japan, they come to great kids because we have systems in place. Mm-hmm. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Okay. We can help you make it work effectively. The second thing, besides caseload for home visitors, that is critically important is supervision. Um, uh, I know that's a mantra so many people have talked about. It may sound a little obvious. But the type of supervision the home visitor receives is critically important. Mm -hmm. There has to be that supportive environment where they have an opportunity to themselves grow and blossom and feel recognized for the work that they're doing, Uh, but with someone who can really uh, grow their skills, build their skills, because all of us feel better when we're learning something and developing than when we're just stagnant and doing the same thing over and over and over. Mm-hmm. That can be deadening work. The last thing that I always suggest to home visiting programs when they're getting started or coming in when they're frustrated mm-hmm. <laughs> for some help um, is that you think about on a quarterly basis giving your staff a break. Um, You could take them all to a a movie that has some theme Mm. similar to that and then go out to lunch or dinner afterwards and talk about it and relate it to your work. You could go for a picnic if you're in a place that's, you know, uh, during the summer in Canada, Mm. surely not in the winter. Mm. Um, Sometimes just taking everybody out for lunch. You know, it's not a costly endeavor and it can make a huge difference to morale. Mm-hmm. And we found that those kinds of little things you could do, uh, not necessarily having big birthday celebrations because they ate into people's time. Mm-hmm. Too many people and too right. many birthdays. But um, maybe once a month, yeah. you would do something just a little different, but at least once a quarter, doing something significantly uh, brain awakening, if you will, mm-hmm. by not having that day to day. You know, mm-hmm. do your visits, write your notes, do your visits, write your notes, yeah. go to supervision, yeah. break the routine just a little bit. Yeah. And we found that kept people very engaged. The other thing I'll tell you that was very fascinating is that when we had severe funding cuts once and we thought we would have to cut staff, we called us a, a staff meeting of all of our teams and s- broke them into groups with sheets of paper and markers and said, we want you to brainstorm ways that we could, we can't give you raises this year. We've given you every, we've given you raises for 10 years. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to do raises this year. Uh, what can we do instead? 
Mm-hmm. Help us to think what we could do instead. They filled those sheets of paper with things that wouldn't have cost, some wouldn't cost us anything, and some were very creative. Get us new tires for our cars. We're driving all the time. Right. Go and get those donated. Right. Well, those were things we could look at. Um, pay for some oil changes. Sure. Do these kinds of things. Get those donated. You can go to all the service stations, get one oil change, and yeah. we'll all get one done. You know. Yeah. So they had some very creative ideas for what you could do rather than give people raises. And mm-hmm. I think about that now in these times when it's very tough and mm-hmm. many people are losing their jobs, let mm-hmm. alone not getting raises. Those that are there certainly aren't getting raises. Um, giving them that, empowering them. We couldn't, we didn't do all of the things they suggested, obviously. Sure. But it empowered them that we were asking them. And it created an energy mm. in the whole system that despite cuts, they felt very motivated. They were included in the process. Yes. Yeah. They, uh-huh. they also say. said that they would rather not have someone lose jobs. They'd rather all take a 10% cut. Um, they were very creative and it was heartwarming. Well, and just maybe just a final thing what, what would you say you know, is important for, for programs, for visiting programs to, to focus on or to, you know, to do to make sure they're going to be around in in 10 years in terms of, of, you know, keeping funding going and keeping, you know, support uh, from from different sources going? Well, more and more people are, are getting clear that simply going into homes is not enough. So funders want you to be an effective program. They want you to have results. And if you want funding to keep coming, you better keep getting results. Um, so quality is a really key factor, and it's one of the reasons why um, early on in the, oh, well, I guess in the early, late 80s, we started providing in our state system a uh, quality assurance visit accompanied with technical assistance. So it's not mm-hmm. going in and saying, check, 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 you did this, check, 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 you didn't do that. It was really going in in partnership to say, let's see how all of your systems are going. Let's see if there are any things. We all develop blind spots. Um, and if there are any places that there are rough spots within your program, let's smooth that out mm-hmm. because we want your funding to continue. And we call it technical assistance quality assurance. Uh, in Canada, in Manitoba, they decided to call it peer support network, mm-hmm. which you really like that term. And so we certify people to do that work uh, at Great Kids Inc. because we believe it's critically important to keep program quality going. And it's so easy to drift. I've been there. I've done it. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the things we've created come out of our own errors. So and our own um, mistakes. So we would never pretend that we know everything or anything, but we do know what the pitfalls are for mm-hmm. home visiting programs, and we can prevent home visiting programs from falling into them. Well, that's that's great. That, that gives uh, us some, some really interesting things to think about and, and programs, uh, you know, some areas to look into more and, and certainly keep up with research and, and new ideas right. in home visiting. So, um, And it's hard work. Home visiting is yeah. hard work, supervision, all of those programs just deserves so much uh, 
appreciation. Mm -hmm. They will not get it probably ever, I would think, from the entire community. But when they do, and and, uh, let me just mention one other thing that I think has been very um, energizing for home visiting programs. When there's a, uh, a newspaper article about one of the programs, it seems to lift the spirits of all mm. the home visitors in all of the program. And so that's another thing that leadership can do is every once in a while, you don't want to overdo this, uh, but arrange with the newspaper to do an article about sure. one of the programs. Sure. And uh, it just makes their job more important, appear more important, and raises the esteem of all our self-esteem of all of our home visiting programs. Yeah, Those right. are other ways to do that. Some appreciation in the, mm-hmm. and recognition in right. the community. So. Right, exactly. Well, that, that's great, Betsy. Uh, thank you for, for yeah, talking to me. You're very welcome. It was uh, fun. Good. I enjoyed it. And uh, for now, thanks for listening. That wraps it up for this episode of Voices of Family. Check the BC Council for Families website next month for another episode on the latest in family services at www.bccf.ca. To keep our series relevant and engaging to family service professionals, we're listening to your feedback from the listener survey located on the Learning Network webpage below the podcast player. Let us know your thoughts on this episode and tell us who you'd like to hear interviewed. Thanks, and see you next time.